In response to the proliferation of illegal retail marijuana sales all over the state, with legitimate-seeming storefronts popping up, especially in metro areas, Governor Kathy Hochul championed the addition of language in the state budget designed to give state tax and cannabis regulators additional powers to curtail the illicit market, which could theoretically help the burgeoning legal marketplace. For more on the issue, we're joined once again on the Capitol Press Room by Chris Alexander, Executive Director of the state's Office of Cannabis Management. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Good to be here. So for starters, can you put into context the scope of the illegal marijuana sales that have been happening since 2021 following the passage of the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act? I've seen some estimates that there are more than 1,400 illegal marijuana shops in the five boroughs alone. Yeah, I mean, I've seen similar estimates. Obviously, the problem is is significantly worse here in New York City just due to the, the amount of commercial activity and it being, of course, the center of that activity. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot, but, um, you know, it is a statewide problem. There are illicit shops, gifting shops all across the state. And so this new authority will hopefully give us some additional tools to deal with that. Yeah, let's turn to the new authority granted to the Office of Cannabis Management, as well as the State Department of Taxation and Finance. Should we think about these powers as individual authority to each agency, or are these going to be utilized in tandem with each other? How should we think about all of this? I think you think about them in tandem. Uh, you know, the partnership between uh, state tax and OCM is necessary one for us to be effective in pushing back. It's on some of these illicit operations. You know, we uh, at OCM, we've been engaged in enforcement activity for the last several months. We've been seizing products from uh, stores across the state, but we haven't really been able to uh, to shut the doors. The additional support of, of DTF uh, will be significant in helping us do that. Um, and additionally, you know, the creation of some new court proceedings that allow us to, to get there uh, is really central to the uh, the new authority. Well, yeah. Can you walk us through some of the changes, especially as it pertains to not just seizing product, but then ensuring that an operator can't continue to operate? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of key provisions there. I mean, the one, as it relates to the back end, our priority approach is education, right? We've been trying to educate uh, both consumers uh, as well as operators for the last year about you know what the consequences of uh, illicit activity is now in the construct that we have moving forward, and particularly the way that they're blocking themselves out from licensure. And so uh, there are some you know kind of increased now escalation points that are, are given uh, to OCM uh, to enforce this law. And so the first, of course, we'll continue with you know our on the ground effort um, to educate, issuing cease and desist letters, and where folks are non-compliant. Uh, to those letters, which now have the force of a greater force of law, we can take emergency action to close those doors and, you know, put up the proper notices while they go through, uh, you know, a separate kind of judicial process. At that time, we'll also be able to continue to assess fines. And now there are some, you know, some bifurcation between the fines that are issued by OCM and those issued by Department of uh, Tax and Finance. Will there be a clear threshold for when things become more serious than just a warning and moving beyond uh, educational efforts? Is it clear when you're going to like impose fines, for example? Well, I mean, 
And I think we passed that a while ago. And that's why we started with education and then started seizing products. You know, I think uh, the goal was if we, uh, you know, prioritize getting these these harmful products off the street that, you know, we, we'd be able to uh, get some operators to close their doors. And, and some did. Some did. I'll, I'll give those credit. But uh, for the most part, a lot of folks did stay open. And so we have been already we have already transitioned to that point and have, you know, again, been at this for several months and have seized millions of dollars worth of cannabis uh, from illicit operators. I think what we you know pivot to now now is a more kind of systematic uh, approach to to these closures again with the the end result being chains on doors according to a press release from the governor's office the legislation included in the budget also makes it a crime to sell cannabis and cannabis products without a license what sort of crime are we talking about and do you have any concerns about the idea of criminalizing marijuana you know in the wake of the marijuana regulation and taxation act being adopted in an effort to essentially decriminalize marijuana uh, to be to be super clear it was always a crime to sell marijuana without a license from the cannabis control board so the what the clarification and the clarifying point that you see in the new offense that was issued is that it's not about the individual at the shop doing the transaction. It's about the person responsible for the business. And so that's the distinction in new offense from previous offenses. But it was always uh, against the law, including the penal law, uh, to sell cannabis without a license. Uh, now we're going after uh, the actual operators and not just the individual uh, at the storefront. And then following up then on the second part of the question, is it that distinction which really makes this kind of in line with the spirit of the MRTA? Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, of course, you know, as much as the MRTA was a a significant sweeping piece of criminal justice reform as it relates to reducing penalties for small possession and, and small sale and clearing past convictions, there was always the intent that we would have to defend uh, what we are building, right? And so if we're finally in a place where we're prioritizing licensing, you know, those who normally wouldn't get these opportunities, et cetera, we, we have to create a, a marketplace where they can be successful. And so there was always going to be some enforcement related to sale. I was not naive to the fact that there would be some illicit activity that continued post-legalization, but we have to do this heavy work. And I think that more important for me, um, even then making sure that the market and the operators that were licensing can succeed, is that we, we've got a real kind of public health conversation to have about illicit products and particularly illicit products in the age of hyper-commercialization, right? When you have a previous sale with a a small level dealer and their customer base, there's a pride in the product, right? There's an understanding that, hey, this is grown at this place. This is the strain. This is the, you know, there was a little bit of more of a relationship between the dealer and the consumer. The reason I raised, I waved the flag now as relates to public health, even though, you know, cannabis has has longstanding not had, you know, a a significant adverse public health consequences from its use is that now with the hyper-commercialization of cannabis and the lack of regulation in these stores, the fact that you know these folks are, are 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 not abiding by our regulations and our rules, that means we're having product that that is not tested, and there's very little concern about the impact or of any potential adverse events happening with the user. And so we're we are we know that this is a a, a different time, but I'll start with the fact that we have to protect what we're building, and we have to make sure that folks are getting access to safer, more reliable, tested cannabis products. Well, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. We're speaking with Chris Alexander. He's the executive director of the State Office of Cannabis Management. And we're talking about language included in the state budget designed to curtail the illegal sales of marijuana that have popped up in force in the last two years. 
And I'm curious about the capacity of state regulators to actually utilize these new authorities, given the fact that your office uh, is still staffing up and the Department of Tax and Finance doesn't even have the personnel to handle its existing mandate to crack down on illegal cigarette sales. So how active can your two agencies be in enforcing uh, these new powers? We're going to have to be uh, super active. And, and I think that we will be effective. You know, we have the ability to do, you know, these unannounced inspections. And you know, there's been a lot of concentration, particularly in the city of these shops, that will probably be, you know, to the detriment of the operators that will be able to kind of force multiply and with local partners, but also, you know, kind of hit these areas where we've got a bunch of shops kind of really accessible to each other. And so that's that's going to help. And from the logistics standpoint, um, although I'm sure that was not the intent of the operators as they open up these illicit shops. But, you know, you said it you said it right. We've all got to got to uh, kind of increase our capacity. Um, and so working with local law enforcement is crucial to that and uh, the partnerships that we've already developed in the last year of operations are going to be crucial. And of course, you know, partnerships like what we have with the New York City Sheriff's Office are are really important. Well, how much of the strength of these new powers is, like you say, that threat that a pop-in could be a- around the corner at any time, as opposed to you know the likelihood that state regulators are actually going to act against every single illegal operation. Well, the goal is for, you know, obviously we're going to take as much action uh, as, as possible. You know, of course, there will be folks who, who see the writings on the wall and decide it's time to cash out and shut down this, you know, their shops. And I think that, you know, as we communicate with folks, we're, we're still educating where we can. Um, uh, but I think they will also have a lot of folks who decide uh, that it's no, it's no longer worth the uh, potential consequence um, of both of criminal and financial sanctions that, that will start to uh, increase. And how, if at all, would it impact the future chances of a currently illegal operator to participate in the legal marketplace if they are subject to fines now or uh, facing criminal penalties as a result of illegal sales? Well, we were, you know, part of our education or escalation, you know, early on was, hey, you know, shut it down before uh, those consequences become real. I think we're past that point now. I think anybody who has decided to you know, ignore both the warnings, ignore the conversation that we've been having on the public stage related to these shops uh, has decided they don't want to participate in this market. And uh, they, you know, there's, we'll, we'll deal with them accordingly. So, so have they essentially eliminated any chance that they will be able to have in participating in the future marketplace then? Yes. So the Wall Street Journal reported that while seven years after California legalized possession and distribution of marijuana, the unlicensed sale of weed was still 50% higher than the licensed sales. So does that mean that the illegal market is always going to be a fact of life in states that have a legal market and it's just a question of how big or small it's going to be? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think you look at states like Washington, even Canada, you know, have mm-hmm. been more successful in shutting down the illicit operations. Uh, but yes, there is, in terms of it being a fact of life, there always being some level of illicit activity. Sure. Um, that, but that's true for, as you mentioned, tobacco. That's true for uh, other consumer goods. There's, there continues to be that uh, market for um, illicit products. Uh, our big focus is making sure that folks that are um, engaged in that activity are not, you know, really confusing the consumer, right? And presenting themselves as legal 
uh, regulated businesses selling a certain type of products. I mean, this is also uh, quite a bit of consumer uh, fraud going on as it relates to the storefronts. And I want to make sure that folks understand that my and, and our agency's uh, priorities are going is going after the storefronts um, and the trucks that have been, you know, really ignoring uh, all warnings and, and the law, uh, both on the state and local levels. Well, finally, this aspect of the marijuana legalization effort is just really one part of the many, many things that you are doing. I can't imagine how many different directions you're being pulled in on a given day- basis. Uh, so how are you doing? <laughs> I appreciate the question. Uh, look, we, we've got a lot to do. Um, I think what I'm, I'm encouraged daily by both my team here at OCM as well as the licensees that we've now given an opportunity to get running. Uh, so, you know, it is, there's good and the bad, but I think you know, I'm definitely encouraged on a day-to-day basis by the type of difference that we're making, you know, rolling out this new industry with, you know, really at this point, hundreds of new entrepreneurs and business owners with, you know, really a, a great pathway forward. So I'm, I'm excited and constantly encouraged. And you're getting enough sleep, you're eating healthy and all that stuff? Definitely not eating healthy. <laughs> getting some sleep, though. Trying to get some sleep, but uh, trying to get better. We, we all got to take care of ourselves. Well, we've been speaking with Chris Alexander. He's the executive director of the state's Office of Cannabis Management. Chris, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Always. Thanks for having me. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.